Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. This week, Japan Times reporter Riso Takahashi and head of the domestic news division Kanako Takahara on the upcoming election for governor of Tokyo, set to take place on July 5th. Riso, welcome back to the podcast. Kanako, it's your first time, so welcome on. Thank you for having me. Let's start out by asking you, Riso, what is the significance of this upcoming election and the position of governor of Tokyo? So Tokyo is the biggest city in Japan as the capital. It has a budget of about a trillion yen.、Uh, if it were a country, it would have the 17th biggest economy in the world. And the governor of Tokyo sits at the top of the Tokyo metropolitan government.、Um, right now,、uh, the incumbent, Yuriko Koike, who was elected in 2016, is in charge of the metropolitan government. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of responsibilities that she's in charge of every single day. She meets with Members of the Tokyo Metropolitan Assembly, politicians and policymakers in the central government, and not to mention interfacing with the residents of the capital themselves. So it's a big, big role and one that yeah, takes on many aspects and has a lot of responsibilities with it, not least that massive budget that you were talking about. Yeah, it's kind of hard to describe the scope of what it means to be the governor of Tokyo. It's one of the biggest cities in the world, one of the biggest populations in the world, one of the biggest population densities in the world. And a huge budget. And right now is a pretty pivotal time because of the 2020 Olympic and Paralympic Games, as well as the novel coronavirus pandemic. Kanako, are those issues that Risa just mentioned, the coronavirus and the Olympics, are those the biggest issues going into this election? Very big, very big. Tokyo has been seeing the most number of cases for coronavirus, and、uh, Yuriko Koike has been at the top. Commanding and trying to fight this pandemic in Tokyo、mm-hmm. and、uh, coordinating with the neighboring governors as well, in, for instance, Chiba, Saitama, Kanagawa, and elsewhere. So、uh, that's a big part of her、uh, role right now. And also,、uh, the Olympics, it's been delayed for、uh, next year, but Tokyo is going to be funding a lot of money into it. Including taxpayers' money. So that's also a big part of her role right now.、Mm-hmm. And I guess a lot of the attacks against Koike by other candidates will be framed around those issues as well. So we'll go through some of the other candidates running in this year's race for governor later in the show. But let's start by taking a closer look at the incumbent, Eureka Koike.、Mm-hmm. Kanako, can you give us some background on her? Right. She's a former TV、uh, anchor person. She actually speaks Arabic. Arabic, okay. Is it Ara- Arabic? Arabic. <laughs> Arabic. So she used to be an Arabic translator. She went to Cairo University. And、uh, then in the 1990s, she became a politician. And、uh, she has、uh, served as Defense and Environment Ministry before she became governor. So、uh, there's、uh, plenty of colorful background on her.、Mm-hmm. She's really, imp- I guess. Colorful person. <laughs> <laughs> and Risa, when was it that she actually decided to run for governor? Well, it was in 2016 that she left national politics to run for governor of Tokyo. Before that, she was a member of the ruling Liberal Democratic Party,、uh, but she left the party to run、uh, as an independent candidate. And that was because the LDP was actually endorsing another candidate at that time? Yeah, her own party endorsed a different candidate, but in the end, she won a landslide victory. Against all expectations at the time. 
I remember back in 2016, there she had kind of like a grassroots movement with a lot of female supporters, uh, supporters who wore the same green color T-shirts or like scarves and everything. Mm. And that went kind of viral. And uh, she, as a result, uh, won a landslide. So it was pretty amazing. And in doing so, became the first female governor of Tokyo. Tokyo. Yes. When she spoke publicly in 2016, what was it like? Hmm. Well, I, for me, I mean, I've been seeing her uh, throughout, like, as a lawmaker. So it wasn't really uh, very special. But uh, I saw in my eyes that uh, she got the charisma kind of built, built up towards the election. So that was also pretty interesting for me to look at. Mm-hmm. And since she entered office in 2016, obviously quite a popular candidate at the time, considering kind of her landslide success. Um, how's she done? What have been the main issues over the last four years in her time as governor? I mean, there's a lot of criticism, but there's a lot of praise. And I think that might speak to how she has held herself as governor of Tokyo. Um, I th- the biggest criticism is that she's a populist uh, and that she cares more about climbing up the the latter of politics than anything else. Uh, But the last four years for Tokyo have been actually pretty eventful, not just with the 2020 games, but with uh, a really controversial relocation of a huge fish market. And this is the world-famous Tsukiji fish market, which was relocated from Tsukiji to Toyosu. Yeah, it began before she was governor, but she obviously inherited that task. Um, And it was controversial to begin with, but... The way she handled it definitely ruffled some feathers along the way. It was stalled once um, because there were contamination contamination issues and, and concerns at the new site. And she stalled it and she got a, praise, a lot of praise from people for being cautious and, and sort of vigilant about something that could be a problem further down the line. But then she just restarted it kind of suddenly. And um, when they asked, when media and... Uh, residents asked her why she made the decision. She said it was because of AI. Um, <laughs> and even now, said, she's getting questions about it. She's saying, yeah, at the time, she was AI de kimemashita. And she said stuff like that in, in press. And I don't, like I don't want to launch into conspiracy theories on the podcast, but who's really running the Tokyo yeah, so government? Even now, it, it's coming charge. up in questions at news conferences. <laughs> and like I wasn't there and I didn't write about it at the time, so I just hear about it. But it makes no sense to me. I try and avoid stereotypes as much as possible, but it is quite funny that one of the main issues in the first term of the governor of the largest city on earth revolves just around fish and <laughs> <laughs> the relocation of a fish market. Um, yeah. So Tsukiji was one issue for her in her first term. Obviously, the Tokyo Olympics was another huge one. Um, and, you know, how, how she fared leading the, the charge with the Tokyo Olympics and, and being, being head of that. Right, you were right there, Duh. looking every moment. Yeah, that was... Rusa is having flashbacks of the last one two years of his life. Yeah, that's what, two two podcasts ago? That's what we talked about, the postponement. Um, there's multiple layers to that question. First of all, the what the governor of Tokyo can do is limited. The central government is closer to the International Olympic Committee when it comes to decisions about the 2020 Games. But Tokyo is the host city, so... Koike played a really pivotal role in how that relationship was maintained. Um, yeah, I still remember, you know, you know, the one, the time when uh, the 
the marathon went to Sapporo, mm-hmm. and uh, she was very, she was really complaining about that and that not not holding it in Tokyo, and she continued to complain it even after it was all decided and everything. That's I, the angriest I've ever seen her. <laughs> in the I mean, in, in my <laughs> short time at TNG, it's been like a year since I started there, but that was the angriest I saw her. She talked about it every chance she got. But has she faced questions over, for example, like the Olympics going over budget? Yeah. Uh, um, one of her biggest promises in 2016 was that she would maintain the current 2020 budget. Obviously, that didn't happen. The budget is much higher than it was in 2016. Um Again, that's sort of the tricky part, whether that's her fault or not. I mean, obviously, the 2020 games were postponed for a year, which is like the second to worst thing that could happen for a host city of the the Olympics. And there's still talk about canceling or postponing further, but a year postponement means a whole nother year of securing venues, staff, and the entire organizing committee, not just at the capital level, but at the national level. what about other issues that she campaigned on early on? I know she had those seven zeros of things that she wanted to reduce, including childcare waiting lists and, interestingly enough, also telegraph poles around Tokyo. How, how successful has she been in her time in office at dealing with, with those kinds of issues and fulfilling her campaign promises? Okay, so when she first ran for governor, she touted these seven zeros, a mixture of social and political issues that she wanted to completely eliminate uh, during her first term. Yeah, and like you just said, they range from eliminating above-ground electricity poles to reducing the number of cats and dogs in Tokyo uh, euthanized in metropolitan-run pounds. Out of the seven zeros, Koike says she did eliminate the number of dogs and cats euthanized in metropolitan-run pounds. Um, but one of the one one of the biggest ones she touted was reducing to zero the number of children waitlisted for admission to daycares. Uh, the number has gone down significantly, almost seventy percent, from above eight thousand in two thousand sixteen to around two thousand now. But it didn't reach zero. Right. Um, for Tokyo, I guess mothers, uh, me myself, mother of three, I've also struggled having children. Uh, into daycare. Mm. It's a very, you know, a time-consuming screening process. And that's uh, happening across the nation, but uh, it's very intense in urban cities like Tokyo. So uh, it's always been a big issue in Tokyo to have those numbers reduced to zero. Mm -hmm. And what do you think of the progress she's made over the last four years? I think she's not the only one who made progress, but... uh, uh, I think she has, you know, tried. And there's. it's also about the municipalities, not just the Tokyo Metropolitan Government. Um, but there has been, a, you know, more number of women who wanted to work. And so, hence, there was more number of kids who were in the waiting list. So that's constantly been a struggle for the Tokyo and the nation. Yeah, and in the media, I think it's an easy target, but it... Personally, in that case, I thought a, a 70% reduction was pretty, It's a, I think it's a huge improvement. And looking into her possible second term, I think she's going to carry that with her. And also under her governorship, Tokyo's launched the Zero Emission Tokyo Strategy, which was a pledge to reduce Tokyo's carbon emissions, I think, to zero by 2030. Correct me if I'm wrong. 50. 
by 2050, which sounds like, pretty good, but is there is there much action to support that? Not according to experts. Um, so the plan was announced in December, and it gave not just activists, but climate scientists in Japan and all over the world sort of a bit of hope, I think, for Koike to put forward what many thought was a very ambitious climate crisis strategy was encouraging. But when I spoke to experts recently, uh, most of them said the same thing, which is that since the plan was announced in December, very little has been done. And what's she like in person to deal with? Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, hmm? what's she like? Uh, you've been watching her too, though. <laughs> Which not, not so, like, ostensibly um, as you have, yeah. so. I mean, Kanako, you raised the point that she's, you know, she was a former news right, anchor. Right, right. So you would imagine she's got some pretty good PR skills. Right, right, right. I think she can read what would be her headline, for instance, in pressers, mm. and what kind of quotes will be picked up by the media, that kind of thing. So that's a very strong point for her. Well, she's a really clear speaker. I mean, even as a member of the press, listening to her at news conferences and things like that, she speaks very clearly and in sort of a reassuring way. She knows how to bounce ideas off of other people during uh, not just press conferences, but she does lots of um, uh, TV stuff lately, especially sort of trying to spread information about the coronavirus to residents through live media like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram even. Um, she has a, she's doing TikTok now. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember she doing, you know, the thing with the YouTuber Hikakin mm. and uh, to, uh, to, to kind of spread the message of the Sanmitsu, the three C's. あの、Even right after like my 6-year-old was saying that, did you see that Koike Yuriko? He, you know, Hikaki was telling me that not to go to crowded places. Okay, I should stay at home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, she knows how to spread the message and how so that was a very strong point for her too. Let's move on to look at her 2020 election platform. What platform is Koike running on this time around? Is it just a continuation of her 2016 platform? For the most part, her campaign goals this time around overlap with what she put forward in 2016. Um, she's even repeating some of her original seven zeros. Right. To me, I feel like this election will be... It'll be like a report card for her in four years. And uh, I would say she is probably going to be uh, have a great chance to win the September 5th election. Uh, but uh, how? July. July. <laughs> July 5th. Oh, we got some time. <laughs> Why are we here? <laughs> July 5th election. Uh, I would say that she probably is going to win. But how much? or how many votes she get is very important for the next four, four years. On that point, how is she doing in the polls in the run-up to this election on July 5th? Most of the polls look really good for her. I mean, it depends on what question they're asking, but in pretty basic polls from Tokyo data companies and a few by like Mainichi, Shinbun, Asahi, Daily, it's giving her support in like the 60s and 70s, that that percentage range. Oh, wow. So very, <laughs> it's pretty very high. high. The way I see it, the biggest reason her support is so high is because Tokyo avoided 
a devastating coronavirus outbreak. I mean, we still have thousands of cases in Tokyo and across Japan, and um, any amount of deaths is is too many. But compared to like New York City, I think it's safe to say that almost everybody assumed or was afraid of Tokyo going down the same path. But for better or worse, Koike uh, is enjoying popularity because of that outcome. And part of the reason for this um, is because she's struck a bit of a different tone to the national government, right? So she actually, throughout the worst of the coronavirus crisis and the state of emergency, kind of put herself on a slightly different platform to the national government in wanting to take more action earlier, which I think has won her some praise as well. Yeah, there were... There were bits and moments where there was friction between Tokyo and the central government. When Prime Minister Shinzo Abe declared a state of emergency in seven prefectures in early April, there was sort of back and forth between Governor Koike and Prime Minister Abe about the scope of voluntary business closure requests. Um, And don't really need to get into the details, but it, it sort of revolved around what some people thought were unnecessary businesses to to keep open, like barbershops or um, things like pachinko parlors and bars, that kind of stuff were sort of roped up into the conversation. Um, and central government said, maybe we should wait two weeks before we lay out these comprehensive business closure requests. But Koike said we should do it now. And she went forward with her plan um, and she got praise for that. Right. I think that kind of painted her fighting against the national government. So that was, I think, painted a good image of her. And also getting, you know, media coverage every day over the coronavirus. uh, That's actually like the campaign for her Mm. unofficially. Every day you see Koike on TV and that itself is an advantage for her. Risa, you said earlier that one of the criticisms of Yuriko Koike is that she's a populist. And I think there is a perception that the role of Tokyo governor is just a stepping stone for her greater ambitions in national politics. How are we seeing those ambitions play out? Well, like I said before, when she ran in 2016, she abandoned her party to run for governor of Tokyo. And soon after that, she founded her own party, Tomi First or Tokyoites First. Uh, Tomi First has 50 of the 123 seats in the Metropolitan Assembly. So it was in January 2017 that she founded Tokyoites First, um, but it was later that year that she founded a national party called Kibonoto, or the Party of Hope. Um, and she, she tried to poach members from the opposition party at the time um, to build that party, uh, but there was a lot of drama, and in the end, the, the party just started to bleed members as soon as it was founded. And it became obvious the party had no future, and so she resigned as its leader in November 2017. Right. I would say every lawmaker, diet lawmaker, has an ambition to eventually become a prime minister. And Koke is one of them. Going back to the Kibonoto, I think that would have been a stepping stone for her to go back to the national politics again and uh, become becoming the leader uh, of that Kibonoto. It could have been... And an alternative party to to against LDT, the ruling LDP, but it fell apart at that time when that failed. It, I thought her political like career on the national level was like the end. 
She's mm. not going to go anywhere beyond Tokyo governor. But then, you know, COVID-19 happened, and then she's in the limelight again, and she's getting all these momentum again as Tokyo governor. So I would say if she is able to, uh, cre- uh, you know, form a legacy in the next four years as the, you know, Tokyo governor who hosted the Tokyo Olympics, who were able to fight against the coronavirus, then I would say she may be able to have a chance to become prime minister again. But uh, we will see. We'll <laughs> see. Do you know what Koike's dog's name is? Nippon. <laughs> Do you know what Koike's dog's name is? You were saying something. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know if that was common knowledge or not. So I just got I don't, I don't think so. Koike's dog's name is Sochang. Sochan. Guess what it's short for. It's not going to be socialism. <laughs> no, God. <laughs> uh, Bernie Sanders. No, go for it. Sori Daijin, Prime Minister. She named her dog Prime Minister. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that, and she said it's not about her ambitions to become Prime Minister of Japan. Well, she definitely knows to get some kind of media attention there because, you know. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, we we were talking briefly before this about the parallels between her and Boris Johnson, who's now the Prime Minister of the UK. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now I think about it, there's even more parallels. You know, he was a he was writing. He wasn't a news anchor, but he was writing for I think it's the Daily Telegraph. So he had a voice there, and then went on to become London Mayor, um, right, and right. kind of really seized the moment with the London Olympics, right. and that ha- you know, had him in the spotlight the whole time, and. Maybe yeah, they seem similar. But again, yeah, like both of like seem to like be that kind of Teflon personality, whereby trouble doesn't seem to stick to them, and they seem to be able to hold on to power very well. And now he's prime minister. Right. We'll see how it goes with Koike. So, Risa, you said currently in the polls, Koike's got an approval rating or a support rating of sixty to seventy percent, but it does merit talking about the other candidates in this race who are the biggest names and the most powerful contenders against Koike? so 22 candidates have registered for the gubernatorial election which is coming up on july 5th Koike, as the incumbent is the obvious front runner she's getting the most attention but in no particular order other front runners include kenji utsunomiya a lawyer and former head of the Japan Federation of Bar of Associations who is seeking the governorship for the third time. Even though he's running as an independent candidate, Utsunomiya has the support of the Japanese Communist Party, the Social Democratic Party, and the Constitutional Democratic Party of Japan. I was looking at pictures of him, and uh, he, j- he just kind of looks like the Japanese Bernie Sanders. And oh, my <laughs> like, God. Oh, right. <laughs> he's a lot Don't shorter. Right. But, you know, he's like a 70-plus-year-old man right. with tufts of white hair and uh, supported by the left-wing parties. It's yeah, sort I of s- a similar dynamic too, I guess. Right. Similar kind of candidate dynamic. I, I see Kenji Utsunomiya as kind of like, uh, you know, who supports, like helps the weak. I've seen him in law lawsuits uh, defending uh, the weak and vulnerable. Uh, so uh, uh, I think the issue for maybe for voters would be his ability as a politician, I would say. That mm-hmm. because he has not, you know, has any political experience, but he has a long uh, experience history be, being a lawyer. That's where, whether he can, you know, 
uh, get people, convince people that he's able to lead uh, the capital, I guess. Mm-hmm. And his platform is much more left-wing in that it focuses right. more on social welfare and welfare, yes. bolstering financial support for small businesses mm-hmm. and single mothers and others who are struggling. But who else have we got running in the race beside from Koike and Utsunomiya? Well, the thing with Utsunomiya is that experts are saying he's probably going to split votes with Taro Yamamoto, who's a former actor and now leader of the Reiwa Shinsengumi political party. Their platforms are pretty similar, relatively left-leaning, more liberal. The age difference between the candidates is probably the biggest difference. Another candidate is Taisuke Ono, who's former vice governor of Kumamoto Prefecture. He was officially endorsed by Nippon Ishin no Kai, or the Japan Innovation Party. So I think one of Ono's biggest challenges is going to be how he can successfully isolate himself from other candidates. Um, and so far, even in a joint conference, a joint news conference that was held earlier this this week, he spent a lot of time praising other candidates instead of talking about his own platform. Who would you say are the key figures? I mean, there are like more than 20, there are 22 candidates running for the Tokyo gubernatorial election. Who do you think are the key figures in this election? Most of our coverage has been focused on Utsunomiya, Yamamoto, and Ono, and I, I think those are the key candidates for the election so far in addition um, to koike in addition to koike yeah good so just, she's probably at you know at the front line yeah you know, she, leading the race and there are like several key candidates that's falling a little bit behind I, that would probably be taro yamamoto utsunomiya and uh, a little bit down further down maybe ono and there are like a thousand other candidates Including the madman who's campaigning solely on the like platform yeah, that coronavirus that is a cold, about? which I saw outside Shinjuku Station the other day. That was uh, <laughs> broadcasting at Fuji Rock level volume. What was he saying? It's just saying that the coronavirus, coronavirus is, is a cold. cold. <laughs> the coronavirus is a cold. We, yeah, we that, don't need to be it. social distancing, stuff like that. There would always be these quirky candidates in every election. Mm. Ruse, you said that in the 2016 race, Koike ran as an independent because the LDP was fielding its own candidate. But this time round, is the LDP backing her or has it got a candidate of its own? They don't have a candidate, but they're not backing her. Um, so they haven't endorsed her and neither is Kometo. But the fact that they're not running someone in her opposition, I think, can be taken as tacit support. Okay. We started this episode by talking about two of the main issues defining this election, which are coronavirus and the Olympics. All of the candidates have their own platforms, but so much of their messaging has to revolve around these issues as they're so important, not just for Tokyo, but also at a national level as well. So how do the main candidates' platforms differ on those issues? Most of the coronavirus countermeasures these candidates are putting forward overlap maximizing testing capacity, increasing the number of hospitals in Tokyo, stricter travel restrictions, things like that. Um, and sometimes it just feels like which like candidates feel obligated to say one more thing than the last candidate. Um, but with the 2020 games, they diverge pretty, pretty strongly. Um, Koike obviously wants to hold the, the 2020 games next year. She believes the coronavirus can be contained by then. Part of the reason is that the the cost of postponing or cancelling would be huge. 
Um, other candidates have other ideas. Ono believes the 2020 game should be pushed back another year to 2022, or maybe even 2024, which is when the Paris games are, are scheduled. On the other hand, Utsunomiya and Yamamoto believe the game should be canceled altogether. Is it possible to like for a Tokyo governor to just stop? I mean, they are part of the plan, but uh, I'm not sure if they say it and say they don't want to host it, they can do that. Because it's not just about Tokyo, it's the national government. Yeah, technically IOC has final say on that, but there has been one instance in which a host nation forfeited hosting rights of the the Olympic and Paralympic Games, and the IOC respected that decision. And I'm pretty sure it was Japan in 1940. Um, So there is precedent for that. But it's true that the the jurisdiction of the governor of the host city is very limited. I guess, though, if you you have such a big population, I think there's, what, over 11 million people who can vote in Tokyo, and if they did decide to vote for a candidate who was running quite explicitly on a campaign that said the game should be cancelled, it would... Have a quite an effect. It would have quite yeah, an effect. And like, say, I, yeah. yeah, either force people's hands or like definitely make them look at whether it's viable and feasible to keep the games going. So this is, like the upcoming election in the US, a very interesting election because it is taking place during a time of coronavirus um, during COVID-19 and you know, with the state of emergency only very recently relaxed in Tokyo and the rest of Japan. So how are all the candidates faring and, and how are they campaigning through this period? So Koike is running what she's calling an online campaign. Um, and I think we can take that as a sign that she's running a defensive campaign. Uh, basically, the less she does, the better. Uh, she still has to focus on the coronavirus. It's not gone. And if anything, it's seen a slight bump in the last week. For her, I think the aim is to just keep doing what she's doing um, because focusing too much on the election, going out on the streets and riding those campaign trucks and stuff like that, that's just going to invite criticism. But that's not the case for the other candidates because they really need to get get their name out there. So, Are people holding rallies or anything like that to try and attract more support? Candidates were allowed to begin campaigning last Thursday on June 18th. And on the day of, um, well, actually, besides Koike, almost all of the candidates were somewhere in Tokyo uh, campaigning on the streets. I saw Utsunomiya um, and his stump speeches in Shinjuku Ward, right at the base of the Tokyo Metropolitan Government Building. And I also saw I also saw Taisuke Ono's stump speech as well, near Kabukicho in Shinjuku. I know that with Utsunomiya's campaign, he's not releasing the location or time beforehand, um, only to press. And so he shows up, and press are prepared to be there. But um, only members of the press know the time and location beforehand, which I think is a pretty good idea. And, and I think other candidates are mirroring that. Right. Typically, in an election campaign, candidates go out on the streets from the election cars, uh, do speeches on the streets. But uh, I think because of the coronavirus, many of the candidates are also going online, getting the message out in social media. 
So to try to reach out the younger generation as well. So uh, it's a bit different, I would say, from past elections. But yes, there's still some of the, them still needs to go out on the streets. And actually, you know, if they're allowed to shake hands, I'm not sure in this coronavirus, but uh, that's typically what happens. So which kind of brings me around to my final question, which is just, you know, with all the uncertainty that does surround COVID-19, is there actually an appetite for a new leader? What do you think? You and I may have a different opinion. You're younger. I'm a little <laughs> bit older. <laughs> I think under different circumstances, there would be more wiggle room for something like that. Um, but even as a resident of Tokyo, I understand people who might think it's a little bit risky to switch leadership during the ongoing spread of an infectious disease. Like I've been covering the coronavirus too. So swapping Koike out with, say, Yamamoto or Utsunomiya or Ono, they haven't been part of the capital's countermeasures. And they don't, they don't even know what it's like to be the governor of Tokyo. It, it's a job that probably takes a very long time to, to adjust to. But at the same time, I understand why people would be unhappy with Koike's first term as governor. Looking at all the benchmarks we've talked about, the relocation of the Tsukiji seafood market, all the, the debacles surrounding Tomi first and Kibonoto, Tokyoite's first, and the Party of Hope leading all the way up to the postponement of the 2020 games. There were just so many moments where I think people can look back and say, she should have done this, but she totally did the other thing and didn't really listen to, to the voices of the capital's residents. For me, there's sort of, I have two mindsets about that, where one is this could be an opportunity for a, a new trajectory for Tokyo. And then the other mindset is that maybe this isn't the right time for that. I would agree with you, say. Uh, I think Tokyo is still in a right, like, crisis mode. And uh, in the ongoing pandemic, it may not be a good idea. Maybe for voters, they would think that it would not be a good idea to switch leaders, especially when Koike has a lot of connections at the national level. She and, for instance, LDP Secretary General Toshihiro Nika is very close. So that kind of uh, collaboration with the national level would works as an advantage for her and compared to, for instance, who doesn't have a political you know, background or people who doesn't have a connection with the national level. I would say Koike is definitely the front runner right now. You've been listening to Deep Dive and that's our show for this week. My thanks to Ruse Takashi and Kanako Takahara for joining me today. More news on the upcoming election on July 5th can be found on the Japan Times website. Links to a few good articles can be found in the episode notes. Thanks as always for listening, and until next time, Potsukari-sama. Mm-hmm.